Well, uh, Wednesday, with the wind, you'd have thought it was the end of the world. You'd have thought it was the apocalypse is the word they use, you know. Uh, that's one of those words they use when everything seems to be disastrous. Apocalypse is one of those words that, that sells movies and you'll see it in the newspaper, you know, political apocalypse or, or virus spreads out apocalypse. Or, uh, and it's one of those catastrophe sort of words of when things reach epic proportions. One of the funniest videos I saw on Facebook was in Glasgow where in the middle of all the wind these council workers had obviously won their, their job is to blow leaves, the leaf blowers. And so with all the storms and the wind these guys were still out blowing, wind, blowing leaves doing their job. I thought only in Glasgow would that happen that these guys are determined to do their job. But like it was the funniest thing. They've got these wee leaf blowers and literally the leaves are just swirling around them. But apocalypse, when we think of apocalypse we think of zombies and aliens roam in the street. We think of buildings burning or a plague or an asteroid strike. Um, cars overturned in the street. That's one of those words. And yet the very first word in the book of Revelation is apocalypse. Apocalypsis in the Greek. And so when we come to it, we need to understand that that this is an apocalypse. But it's not an apocalypse like some disaster movie. Apocalypse means this. It means to reveal or to unveil. It means something that is hidden is now being unveiled. So the goal of revelation is not to conceal things from you. It is to reveal things to you. It's not to conceal mysteries and secrets, but it's to reveal truth about reality and the future. And so God wants us to understand this. It's a bit like uh, the the word unveiling or or revealing. It's a bit like if you've ever been to a theatre and and you're seated and you're ready and you've got whatever your speech or your popcorn, whatever it is, and, and the curtains, and then they're pulled back and you see the set and all it's, you know, and the whole show starts, the curtains are pulled back and it's revealed, it's unveiled, or I was thinking about this week as our wedding anniversary, uh, we're married nine years someday this week, and, uh, and uh, next year ten I'll remember, but nine's one of those numbers, you know, um, it is nine, isn't it? She didn't even know, um, we're so in love it's, we don't count um, but, but remember and, and I part of my job is I get to, to marry couples and I love that and part of my I love that bit where, where the, the bride arrives when we make sure the doors of the church are closed at the back you know because nobody gets to see the bride and she's hitting the bridesmaids come in and they're processing up and flower girls and, and then there's this moment of silence and the bride arrives and she's unveiled she's she's revealed and everybody gets to see her in all her glory as she looks the best that she ever will in her entire life um, and has spent a fortune to do so and so she should um but it's that revelation it's that revealing it's that unveiling of something or someone in all their glory and so the first word in this is apocalypse. It's revelation. It's revealing. What's it, what's it a revealing of? The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation from Jesus, all about Jesus. And we need to remember this. That this book is not primarily a revelation of the Antichrist. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because we get caught up in the 666 and the mark of the beast and the dragon and, the, you know, and all this stuff. And we can go, 
people who spend too much time on Revelation, let's be honest, they can get a little bit weird. Okay? Like people who only teach on Revelation for 40 years get a little bit weird. They're not probably going to be welcome here uh, to preach. But, 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 but we do want to study. We just don't want to get so wrapped up in every single number. In it because when you get caught up in the Antichrist and the beast, you forget about Jesus Christ. If we keep Jesus before us as we study this book, we will not go too far wrong. If we get caught up in all this other stuff, we're likely to go down paths that Jesus doesn't want us to. So we keep Jesus central because there's a lot of symbols, there's a lot of numbers, there's a lot of imagery, which is really weird. But Jesus is central, not the imagery, not the numbers. It's a bit like watching the movie Jaws and saying it was about a beach. Like, a beach is part of the backdrop of the movie, but Jaws is not about a beach. It's about a shark. When you get caught up in the numbers and the Antichrist and the beast, it's, it's the same sort of thing, that, 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 that you've got caught up in the side things, but you've missed the main character. Or the, I read a while ago the, the book Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela, a fantastic book. Some of you have seen the movie. It's like saying, oh, well, that's a book about a prison. It's not. It's about a person. And so we need to remember that. Keep Jesus before us as we study the book of Revelation. So we have this unveiling, this revealing. The curtain is pulled back and we see what's going on. And what we see is that there's more to life than meets the eye. That there's this physical, visible world that we live in and there's the invisible, um, spiritual world. And we tend to think of heaven as up there somewhere. It's somewhere that we go up to when we die. But the Bible tells us that heaven is all around us. That there's an invisible spiritual world that we can't normally see with the naked eye. And it's all around us. And right now there is a spiritual world. And they overlap and they interlock and they interrelate. And they influence each other. We live in both now. We live in a physical world and a visible world. And so John, when the curtain is pulled back, he gets to see. He gets a glimpse into the invisible. He gets a glimpse into the spiritual. And what he sees is there's more going on around us than meets the eye. There's more going on around you personally in your own life than meets the eye right now. And there's more going on around us on a global scale than we can see with our eyes. Things might look chaotic and random and out of control and that certain people and nations have all the power, but there is a God who is in control and he has all power and all authority. And all of our little stories and all of the little stories on the news are part of a bigger story which is heading somewhere and he has written that story and he knows where it's going. And so while everything might look like a mess in your life and everything as we look around us in the world may look chaotic, he is on the throne, he is in control, and he knows exactly what he is doing. He is coming back one day to put all things right, but everything is moving in a direction according to his timeline. And at any minute, he can shift it, he can shake it, he can change it, he can upset it, he can undo it. But right now, he is on the throne, and he is saying, I am in control no matter how things look, and you can trust me. That's what John sees. He sees that, I'm, that, that there might be persecution around me. There might be affliction. There might be all this stuff. But he is in control. 
things are not as they seem or they're not only as they seem is maybe a better way to do it. Things in your life are not as they seem or they're not only as they seem. Didn't the, the, the Apostle Paul say this? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers and authorities and principalities and heavenly. That when things happen to us, we see flesh and blood. When people attack us, when people criticize us, when people lie about us, we see flesh and blood. And we want to give them the right hand of fellowship to the side of the head. But, but actually, we're fighting the wrong battle most of the time there. And actually, there is a spiritual element behind the physical that we see. But, beca- or, but because we can't see most of the time. And imagine if, if, if we could just get a glimpse how much more sense some of the stuff in our lives today would make. Think about what you're going through, seriously. Some of you are going through tough stuff right now, I know. Some of you are dealing with stuff in your life right now. And while it's very real and it's very tangible and it's very physical to you, I want to say that there's, a, there's more to it than meets the eye. And while you do deal with things physically and while you do deal with things practically, we don't become so spiritual that we just do nothing. We also we pray we, we speak, we, we hear from God, we, we prophesy, we, 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 we attack from the air on the ground. <laughs> yeah? That, that, that on the ground we do the practical things, but we attack from the air as well. In other words, in the spiritual world, we, we bring God's word to bear on the situation. That's still true, folks. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And Jesus, we're told, gets this revelation from the Father. And Jesus gives it to an angel, and the angel gives it to John, and John communicates it to us. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of these prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. That word near confuses people, because this was 2,000 years ago. And people go, well, if it's near, why are we waiting 2,000 years later? That word actually means, I'm trying to, it's coming quickly. Or it's, it's quick, it's quick is probably the best way of translating it. So if I were to say to you uh, to later today, or today I'm going to Belfast quick, quickly. That could mean I'm going quickly now, like I'm walking out now, I'm going quickly. Or it means that when I, when I start going I go quickly, which is more likely to be true. Um, that, that, do you understand what I mean? That, that, that it doesn't necessarily mean that it was going to happen within a year of this being written. It means that once it starts, it all happens quickly. That once this starts, once the wheels start turning, it, it all happens quickly. It all unfolds quickly. It doesn't mean that they were all sitting around just any day. Wait. It means that they were going, right, Jesus has gone back to heaven. He, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back. And when it starts, it all is going to happen very quickly. And I love it because this book says that this is the only book in the Bible that says you're blessed just by reading it. The most confusing book probably in the Bible, and it probably had to promise a blessing. Do you know what I mean? I want to be blessed, you know? I, I, I want to be blessed by God. And here it says, blessed are the ones who read this, and blessed are those who hear it. So even just hearing it now, God is blessing you. 
There's blessing coming as we read this. And it says it at the start and it says it at the end. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And so that's why I'm going to keep reading it even when I don't always understand it. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So we discovered last week that John is the author. That's how they started letters in those days. Today we write, dear, dear Sally, and we sign at the end, you're sincerely. Back then, and we said with the Apostles Paul's letter, you put your name first and then you, you wrote who you were writing to. Uh, and so he says, I'm John. I'm the apostle. I'm the, one of the original disciples of Jesus I'm one of the twelve. I was the one, the beloved one who Jesus loved. I'm the author of the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. I wrote first, second, and third John, the epistles. I have been following Jesus for 60 years, maybe 70 years. So this is 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. This has taken place about 95 AD. He's an old man. All the other apostles at this stage are dead. Judas hanged himself. The other ten um, all uh, were executed. Some by being thrown to the lions, some by beheading, and others by being crucified upside down. They say that Peter was crucified, but he said, I don't deserve to be crucified the same way as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And so all the other apostles are dead. There's one remaining. His name is John. He's an old man. They try to put him into a, 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 a big, huge container of, of, of burning oil, and he didn't die. He, I can just imagine him lying there like a jacuzzi. You know, I'm not dying, folks. And so they couldn't, they couldn't kill him. They couldn't shut him up, as we'll see later. So they banished him to the island of Patmos. He was a respected leader of the church And he writes to seven churches in modern Turkey. But look at his first words. The seven churches. These were real churches in Asia Minor, in modern Turkey. But look at his first words to them. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. You see, when people think of revelation, they think of wrath and fury. They think of hellfire, brimstone, and judgment. I want to say to you that all of that is there, and we will see that as we go on. But before we ever get to wrath and fury with Jesus, we get grace and peace. Before we ever preach the judgment of God, we preach the grace of God. It's the grace of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I'm so thankful for grace and peace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'm so thankful that I have got from Jesus what I don't deserve. And when you get grace, it brings peace. It brings peace with God and it brings peace with others. Grace and peace. Yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is uh, hell, as we heard last Sunday night. Yes, there is fury. There is wrath. There's all of that stuff. But that's only for those who constantly and consistently reject his grace and peace. And that's why it says in, in, in Peter that, that, that our Lord is not slow, but he's patient. Because he's waiting for... I can just in hev- imagine in heaven the angels are going, Jesus, go back, go back now. Come. And he's going, but what if just one more repents? What if just one more? Think of that person in your family, that friend, that loved one who doesn't know Jesus. I can just imagine Jesus saying, but I just want to hold off for another week, another day. Because there's somebody in Craig Avon, there's somebody in Portadown, there's somebody in Tandragee, and I know they're so close to repenting. And so I'm just going to hold off. God's 
God's heart towards us is not wrath and fury, it's grace and peace, but there is a day of judgment, justice and reckoning where all things will be put right. God is not sitting up there in heaven just angry, wanting to unleash his fury. He is sitting up there with a heart of love and compassion, saying, I am releasing grace and peace. Please accept it. Please receive it. When you receive my grace, you receive my peace. How do we do that? He tells us in the next verse, verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. How do we get grace and peace through the blood of Jesus? That's the only way to have peace with God. Religion doesn't give you peace with God. Going to church doesn't give you peace with God. Praying doesn't give you peace with God. Doing religious duties doesn't give you peace with God. Only the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and putting your full faith in him gives you peace with God. And why did he do it? Because he loved us. He loves us. He loves you. And he has freed you from your sins. And if you're freed from your sin, you're freed from the penalty of sin. You're freed from the punishment of sin. And one day you will be free from the very presence of sin when you get to be with him. That's good news, folks. That Jesus' blood was shed for you and you can come into a a, a relationship. And so when you stand before God, when we get to the judgment... We will read of those who wear white robes. The saints are always wearing white. Why? Because they're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. I don't want to stand before God dressed in my own filthy rags. And, and we all get that choice. When we hear the gospel, we get that choice. Do we, when I stand before God in judgment day, do I want to stand dressed in my own righteousness, which is like filthy rags, or do I want to stand in the righteousness and the purity of Jesus Christ? And when we come in to that relationship, we become part of his kingdom. Look at what it says. He made us to be a kingdom. We're part of a kingdom. We become sons and daughters of the king. We have royalty. We're part of a royal family. We're sons and daughters of the king of kings, but we're also priests. You're a priest, huh? But you didn't know that. You're a priest. Get your collar on and go round and, you know. But seriously, you're a priest. I'm, I'm ordained as a priest, believe it or not. That's what they call it in the Church of Ireland. Uh, you're ordained deacon, then you're ordained priest. I, I don't want to be dismissive, but I think that's a load of rubbish. Every single, I understand that I have a different role, okay? But every single person in this room, if you know Jesus, you're a priest. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. First Peter says you're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God who has called us in the darkness and his marvelous light. I do not need a mediator, or you do not need a mediator to go between you and God. That's what a priest did in the Old Testament, and that's what priests do in certain denominations today. You can't approach God directly. A priest is a mediator who goes on your behalf. We do not need a priest, we do not need saints, and we do not need Mary to go before Jesus. We have access to Jesus directly through Christ. It is death, his resurrection. We have access to God through faith in Christ. You do not need to go through any mediator. You are a priest. Why are you a priest? Because you're a mediator between the lost and God. You stand in the gap between lost people and God. You're the one who points people to God. You're the one who, who, who brings the kingdom of heaven to earth through your life. So you are a priest. Father, 
can go around and say, you can call me father. Don't do that. Um, but you're a priest. The Bible says that. So get, let's get rid of all this rubbish about titles and stuff. Honestly, I, I, you know, we understand roles in this church, that God has equipped people for certain roles and ministries and giftings. We understand that. But we are not going to elevate people to certain levels and give them titles that the Bible says everybody. I am no more right before God than every single one of you who have faith in Christ is. That's why on Friday night I was at one of those big services and it was grand and they keep asking me to robe and process and I just refuse to do it, you know, because I don't want, one, I don't look good in a dress and two, uh, I can carry it like, um, I mean, you know, but two, I just hate how it sets us apart. Like the whole point of that in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the traditional church days were to set you apart from the laity, the ordinary people. It was to show that you were different. I dress just like you. Why? Because I am no more right than God before God than you are. And also because I don't like wearing that other stuff. But, but you, are, you are as right with God. You have as, as much access to God as I have. You need to understand that. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, you have complete access to God and you mediate on behalf of lost people and bring them to him. And we're a kingdom of priests who serve. That's what it says. We're not a kingdom of priests who lord it over people. We're a kingdom of priests who serve. Look at verse 7. First word, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds. That word, look, you'll see again and again throughout the book of Revelation. Look, behold, see. Nineteen times it says it. In other words, right now, you have a choice of where you focus. Focus on your circumstances. Focus on your situation. Focus on your pain. Focus on your problem. Or look and see what's really going on. Look at him. Look at his glory. Look at his power. Look at his majesty. Look at his authority. Look at your pain or look at him. It's all about perspective because your perspective will determine your behavior. If you see things from a purely earthly point of view, that will cause you to behave in one way. But if you see things from his perspective, you will live completely differently. Look, behold, see. And we need to continually remind ourselves when life is hard, when we're in the grind, when it's Tuesday afternoon and we're losing the will to live in our job. Look, behold, see. He is coming with the clouds. Jesus is coming back. Clouds in the Bible symbolize a few things. Mostly glory. When in the Old Testament, when God's glory descends, very often it came in a cloud. He's coming in the clouds. He's coming in glory. But also in Acts 1, when the Jesus returned to heaven after his resurrection, he, he, he's up there and the angels appear and they say, the same Jesus, he's in the clouds, who you saw going will come back in the same way. In other words, He's going to come back in the clouds. Every eye will see. You see, when Jesus came the first time, it was secret and it was secluded and it was in a stall in Bethlehem. But when he comes a second time, it will be public and powerful. It will be visible and victorious. And his glory will be revealed. He is coming. Notice it doesn't say he will come. He is coming. He's on his way. From the moment Jesus returned to heaven, he's coming. 
The kingdom of heaven is crashing into earth. He's on his way. He's on his way. He is coming. Not he will come. He is coming. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. People get ready. There's a story of a prince who one day is riding through the fields and he sees a a peasant girl gathering crops in the field and he thinks she's the most beautiful woman he has ever seen in his life. He falls for her immediately, love at first sight. And he thinks to himself, how can I win her heart? Well, he thinks I could display my royal robes and, and impress her and with all my wealth. But would I know if she really loved me? And then he thinks, well, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a prince. I could force her to marry me. I could issue a decree that she has to marry me. But again, how would I know that she really loves me? So here's what he does. He goes back to the palace. He takes off his purple royal robe and he dresses as a peasant. And he goes to work in the fields alongside her. And he works alongside her and day after day he's kind to her and he talks to her and he shows goodness towards her. Ultimately they get talking and ultimately they fall in love. They get engaged and on their wedding day he puts on his royal robes and he reveals to his bride who he really is is that's a picture of what christ has done he came in humility he came in poverty he came in seclusion but one day he's coming back for a bride and we will see him in all his glory and majesty and beauty and authority he's the lion of judah he's the king of kings he's the lord of lords there will be a marriage supper of the lamb and we will see him as he really is verse 4 Grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come. And verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come. Jesus is eternal. You know, we have a beginning and we have an end. And we can't change the beginning, but we do try to change the end. We try to prolong the end. We get age-defying, wrinkle-reducing cream because we want to extend the deterioration of our bodies. We get Botox. Well, I don't, but people get Botox. <laughs> I'm not putting botulism in my face. Um, you know, our bodies are decaying. We go to the gym, we, we exercise, we diet, and then we stop diet, and then we diet again, and we yo-yo diet. And we, we, want, you know, we eat healthy food, and we try to eat our five a day, and we eat things that we don't like, but we want to be healthy. And, and we're trying to prolong our lives and defeat death. And ultimately, the reality is that we have an ending. But Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Alpha alphabet he's the a to z and everything in between he has no beginning and no ending he has no start and no finish all things have an origin apart from him all things come from him were created by him our god is eternal he knows our past he's with us in our present he has secured our future rulers and leaders come and go but god remains relationships end and loves ones pass But God remains. Nations change and Britain leaves the EU. But God remains, but not in the EU. Um, Sorry, I've got to be careful, don't I? He remains faithful. He is eternally mortal, omnipotent, awesome, glorious, faithful. 
No matter what happens in your life, it's temporary, but he is eternal. He never changes. On your best or your worst day, he's there. Verse 9, we looked at this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I join your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. They warned him. He's 90. John, just take it easy. Put your feet up. Watch Jeremy Kyle and have your nurse come in twice a day and, you know, and just... No, I'm going to tell about Jesus. When there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to tell about Jesus. We're going to boil you in oil. Okay, didn't work. Go tell people about Jesus. What do they do then? Let's just isolate them. Because that's really all you can do if somebody won't shut up. Is you stick them somewhere that you can't hear them anymore. And so they stick them on this island. It's about 30 miles off the coast of Greece. And when you think Greek island, don't think Kos or don't think like, you know, it wasn't like that. It was this rocky, horrible place where you were put to hard labor. And he's, he's, he's there because of the testimony of Jesus. This old man won't stop talking about Jesus. He's on this island. He's alone. He's at the end of his life. He's 90 years old. He, he should be an and he's, you know, you think, well, after all he's done. Sometimes people say that to me when bad things happen to good people. After all they've done. They, they loved the Lord so much. They were so faithful in church. You know, you'd think God would have treated them better. John would have every right to be moping here, to be a bit angry at God. To be a bit grumpy. To be accusing God, saying, God, seriously, this is what you do after all I've done for you. What's he doing? Look at the next verse. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me, a, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write in a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches and he names the seven churches. It's a Lord day. It's a Sunday. He's in church. He can't go to church so church goes to him because church is not a building. Church is where the people of God gather to worship Jesus. Anywhere could be a church. We could meet in the middle of a field right now and it is church. People say, I'm going to church, really? That's what we've said all our lives and I get that but you are not a church because you're in a building. I'm so glad we don't meet. I love. I mean, I do love traditional church buildings in some sense, apart from the upkeep of them. But I'm so glad because when we gather here, there's something about meeting in a place like this that reminds us that it's not about the building. That the people of God gathered are the church. And John, on the Lord's day, is 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 is, is, is having church in the middle of the most desolate, barren, hard place of his life. He's having church he's 90 years old and he's still passionate and he's pressing in for more you know it's i've been around church for a while folks i've been around church for 27 years and can i say it's easy to become cynical and it's easy to become critical because there's a lot of stuff in church that's just you know it's just easy to become cynical about especially when you've been around if you've been around church for a while you'll have been hurt You'll have seen things. You'll have experienced things that have hurt you. And there's times when you just go, I would just rather get out of this. I just, this is just like these people. I, I, you know, and, and you, you know, and you just become a bit cynical and a bit hard-hearted. And you think, I've seen it all. I've got the T-shirt, the baseball cap, the bumper sticker, and the, you know, and the pen. And, and I've got it all. And I just, ugh, I'm just going to coast and get to heaven. Not John. John's been following Jesus for 60 years. And he is on fire. 
He's passionate. He's pressing in. He knows there's more. There's more of God to experience. Yes, he might have seen 60 years of it, but he knows there's more. Have you ever met one of those old people? Like, like really old? I'm not talking about like, like, like 50 old. I'm talking about like 90 old. Like those old people who just love Jesus. And they have this glint in their eye, this little mischievous fire in their eye. I used to see it particularly when I was in Shankill, Lurgan, with a lot of older parishioners there. And you'd go and visit some of them sometimes and they had just this glint in their eye. And they just loved Jesus. And I'd be going to minister to them, but I would leave and I'd been so ministered to. My wee Granny Cooney was one of those people, anyone who knew her. She died at about 90 years old and she had a fire in her belly. You know, when she was 88, they broke into her home in Carrickeaton Grange. She got up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom. Two robbers were in her house and she chased them out of the house. You know, I mean, that was, that, that was Granny Cooney. She's the sort of woman, I remember she flew to Manchester once to see a relative sat beside someone. By the time they landed, the person sitting beside her had come to Jesus on the plane. That was Granny Cooney. She was old and she was on fire for the Lord. I want to be one of those people. And so I cannot allow cynicism to take root in my heart. I cannot allow the things that are wrong with the church to to dampen and dilute my passion for Christ. I want to get to the end of my days and be more passionate about Christ than I was 20 years ago. I want to be more on fire for Jesus. John is one of those people and he is on fire no matter what has happened to him, no matter what is going on around him, he is having a fresh encounter with Jesus and the vision is Jesus. We've got to speed up here. Five minutes left. Um, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. So he turns, and it's not just in his imagination. This isn't just something he's dreaming. He hears a voice and he turns around. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. And then later on, we read about what the lampstands are. It says the lampstands are the churches because the church is the light of the world. So he, he doesn't just hear a voice, he sees the voice. I want us as a church not just to hear the word, but to see Jesus. You know, we can fill our heads with information, but an encounter with Jesus brings transformation. And I want us to be a people who hear the word, but experience the presence of the living, risen Jesus among us. And where is this Jesus? If the lampstands are the church, where was he? He was walking among them. We see that later. Or yeah, so, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Jesus isn't outside the church. Jesus isn't above the church. Jesus is in the middle of the church. In the middle of whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is in the middle of it. And the suffering and pain you're going through, Jesus is in the middle of it. He's not outside looking in. He's not up above looking down. He's in the middle of it. He's not the light at the end of the tunnel. He's the light in the tunnel. He is with you. He is with me. Imagine today if you could see, if, you, if just God pulled back the curtain and you could see Jesus walking among us here. Imagine if you could just get a glimpse of him, how that would affect how you see your relationships right now. How you see your sickness. If you could get a glimpse, imagine how that would change how you see your depression. 
how you see your problems, how you see your job, how you see your finances, how you see your grief, your heartache, your sadness, your loneliness, your marriage. How different life would be if we realized that God is not up there watching us from a distance, but that Jesus is here in the middle of us. Imagine in this room right now if the curtain was pulled back and we saw Jesus. How would that affect our worship? I think we'd be a wee bit more loud and a wee bit more wholehearted in our worship than we are right now. He is among his church. And what's he like? Well, it says he's like a son of man. And this word like, you're going to see this over and over again in the book of Revelation, but particularly here, like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, because he's trying to use finite language to describe the infinite and indescribable. It's It's like, in other words, he's not... Like if you were to look, it's not like this. Like, but it's as I'm trying to use human language to describe something I can't describe. Have you ever? Maybe you've been away for a year. Maybe like I know people who have went and worked in Africa in orphanages for a year or something, and they come home and somebody says, "So how was it?" And they expect in one sentence you to describe this incredible high and low, heartbreak and exhilarating year, and you go, "It was great." Like, how do you describe all of that in one sentence? Or, I was going to say, when you get back from your honeymoon, people go, how was it? And you go, that was good. Uh, you know, like, like you, don't want to, you don't want to describe it. And you, and you can't describe it. And, and you're not even going to try to describe it. And John's trying to describe the indescribable here. He's trying to use finite human lives to describe something which is so beyond the realms of our understanding and comprehension. So he says it's like, and it was like, and it was like, and it's not like the way we use it. It was like today, you know, like an American teenage girl. Well, it was like this, it was like, and it was like a son of man. In other words, it was like a man, but not like a man. This is from Daniel 7. There's a picture of the, the, the of, of God as the the king of kings and the ruler of all history in Daniel 7. He, he looked like a man, but he wasn't like a man. Jesus used this term for himself, didn't he? The son of man. It's like a man, but he's so much more like a man. It's humanity filled with majesty. He's got unchallenged authority, indescribable majesty, uncontested victory. And he's worn a robe that's a priestly garment. That Jesus is our great high priest. And remember at the cross, what did they cast lots for? His robe. He got naked to cover our shame, but he's no longer naked. He's dressed in a royal robe. And look at what he's wearing, a golden sash. Some of you will love that, won't you? Yeah. He's not an orange man, you know. I'm not even going to go there. Some of you are like, yes, I told you, LOL. LOL 666. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you can send your emails to Becky Cooney at Outlook.com. But in the Old Testament, priests and kings wore a sash to symbolize power and authority. A golden sash means Jesus is all power and authority. I'm going to move on really quickly. His head and his hair were white like wool. As white as snow, his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, his voice was sound of rushing waters, and his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. Guys, what time is it? We're not going to get this done. Real quickly, real quickly, because I'm determined to get on to Revelation 2. White like wool simply means purity and wisdom. His hair was white like wool. We serve a wise Jesus. I'm so glad Jesus is wise. We never have to say, Jesus, wise up. We go to him for wisdom. 
He has the answer to every problem. He has the solution to every question that you have. He's full of wisdom. His eyes are like blazing fire. He looks not just at us, he looks into us. We live in a world that's all about surface. It's all about filtering. We take 40 photos to look natural on Instagram. We filter them, we whiten our teeth, we get rid of the wrinkles, we do everything. Jesus sees through all that rubbish. He sees our hearts, he sees us as we really are. He sees through the pretense, he sees through the religion. He sees through the niceness and the fakeness and all the stuff that we bring to the surface to try to present ourselves to the world in the way we want to. He sees through it all and he sees us as we really are. His eyes bore into our hearts and so we don't have to pretend with him. His feet like bronze, in other words, are steady, they're solid, they're not unstable. And his voice like rushing water. I've been to Niagara Falls. It's just that, that intensity of just water, the power of water, the, 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 the uncontainable, just, just oh, it's, 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 it's like, uh, it's this overwhelming torrent. That's what his voice is like. And out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. Out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. We read in Ephesians that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Out of his mouth comes a sword. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We live in a day when they're trying to undermine the authority of the word of God. That's really the biggest battle. The battle before all the other things even I talked about last week. If you can undermine this book, and make it just an ordinary book. Then you can live how you want. Did God really say? Isn't that what the serpent said in the garden? And that's what he's still saying today. Did God really say? And out of the mouth of Jesus is a sword. And that sword is the word of God. And it pierces and it cuts. And it cuts through the rubbish in our lives. And the lies in our culture. And that's why they're trying to do away with it. And make it something it's not. We don't stand over the word of God, it stands over us. And his face was shining like the sun, the Shekinah glory and all its brilliance. Imagine being John. Imagine you're all alone on this island. Imagine the churches that you love are being persecuted. You know that they're falling apart a bit. There's persecution from outside and there's false teaching from within. And you're worried and you're stressed and you're anxious. How would this vision change your perspective? How would this change how you feel about your suffering? Imagine being one of the people in the seven churches that this letter goes to. And it's on a Sunday, somebody gets up and they say, we've got a letter from John. Read it to us. And they're reading it. And they, they're, they're, the doors are locked because they know that they're going to be persecuted at any minute. They could have their heads chopped off. And they read this and they get this glimpse of Jesus. How would that change how they think? How would that give them courage to stay strong, strength to endure? That there's a name higher than any emperor. There's a throne greater than any throne. And that even the emperor one day will bow. Well, look at how John responds. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, the living one. I I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Remember, this is John. This John who had been with Jesus, who had been one of the inner circle, who had seen things that nobody else had seen. 
He had followed Jesus for 60 years, but he had got up close to Jesus in his humanity. But now he sees Jesus in all his glory. And I want to tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't give him a punch in the arm and say, Hey, buddy. Hey, my old chum, Jesus. The way we treat God sometimes. So casually. So flippantly. The big man in the sky. Oh, how we have such a small vision of God today. That's one of the biggest crises in the church is that we have reduced God down to somebody who's just like us. He is nothing like you. He's holy, holy, holy. And we need to see him as he is. And when we see him as he is, we see life as it really is. Everything falls into place when we get our perspective on him, right? But if we lose our perspective on him, everything else is out of perspective. And John falls on his face as though dead. But I love it. Because in the middle of his fear and his holy reverence, he feels a hand on his shoulder. And it's Jesus and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And Jesus is saying to you today, do not be afraid. I see what you're going through. I see those tests. I see that legal battle you're in. I see that sickness. I see that divorce. I see that abuse. I see that heartache and that pain. I see that depression. And he puts his hand on you in the middle of his majesty and authority and glory. And he says, do not be afraid. And you know what? When some people say, do not be afraid, it's just like, yeah, whatever. But when Jesus in all his glory puts his hand on you and says, do not be afraid, it means something. He's actually lifting fear off you. He's breaking fear off you. And I believe this morning that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to break fear off people and remind people who he really is. You know, I was reading a book recently and I'm finishing now. His author was Peter Lewis and he was talking about how as he, when he was a child he, found he followed his county rugby team and, and he had a hero on the team that, you know, the, the, just... He had somebody who had posters on the wall and he went to every match and got autographs of this guy and he, he followed him and he was kind of his rugby hero. But then he says he got to meet him once. And not only did he get to meet him, when he was about 14 this was, he got to meet him and he actually became friends with him and they would become fishing, fishing buddies and they would hang out together. But then he said this. He, he says, I got to know the real man, not just a public image. But then he said this. The nearer I got to him, the smaller he became. The nearer we get to Jesus, the opposite happens. He becomes more awesome, more majestic, more beautiful, more radiant, more powerful, more stunning. The old chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth, the things in your life right now will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, September is a funny month in churches. We're meant to do Vision Sundays. Anybody who's those around, been around church for a while, you're meant to do a Vision Sunday in, in September and January. You know, put this big vision up, get everybody excited. Tell them what we're going to do. And there's a huge temptation in leadership to do that. And I've decided this year, I'm not going to do this right now. Because we only have one vision. And our vision's Jesus. That's our vision. And I believe that I could put up some great vision about reaching Craig Alvin and the nations and blah, blah, blah. If we don't get this stuff right, that stuff means nothing. 
This is the why. That's the what. But if you don't get the why right, who cares about the what? If you don't realize that Jesus is coming back, that there's going to be a judgment day, that he is holy, 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 that there's a savior who loves us, then what's the point in all the other stuff? And so this is our vision. That's why we're going to teach on this for the next four months, five months, whatever it is. Because I believe as we teach on this faithfully over the months that Jesus is radically going to transform this church. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to give us a revelation. The curtain is going to be pulled back. I also believe that in the nations we're going to see revelation in the next. I actually believe in the nations in these next two to three months there's going to be a revealing of things. I really strongly felt that this morning, that there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to be on earth. There's going to be secrets revealed. There's going to be, and we've seen it with the church and, the, and you know, and the, the, the abuse scandals. We've seen it in some. But I believe that, that, that this is a time of revealing and unveiling because Jesus is pulling back the curtain and he's letting us see things as they really are. But for us as a church, we don't want to just see political things. We don't want to just see things out there. We want to see Jesus in here. Because when we see Jesus as he is, it transforms us as we are. When we get a revelation of him, it creates a revolution in us. And so my prayer for us, as we study this book in these weeks and months ahead, is that we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus. Because that will change your marriage. That will change your finances. That will change your job. That will change your suffering and your struggle. If you can see Jesus as he is, that will change everything that you are.